You are entering the theater of the mind, an arcane radio theater works podcast series featuring dramatizations of strange and fantastical tales. Series one, the mysterious card. Adapted by Jeff G. Rack and Charlie Mount from a story by Cleveland Moffat. Presented in six parts. Episode 1. My name is Dr. Edward Lansing. No physician has been more scrupulous than I in not breaching the ethical code of confidentiality that lies between a doctor and his patient. And it's only for grave reasons, partly in the interests of medical science, largely as a warning to intelligent people, that I place upon the record the following story. It was the spring of 1884. My medical practice was booming with a large index of private patients and good referrals. I had even recently been called in by the police as an expert in lacerations involving a ghastly series of murders on Water Street in Lower Manhattan. Though successful and busy, I found myself one afternoon with no patience. So I settled in with a medical journal, reading a fascinating account of the recent bottling of Pemberton's French wine coca former temperance drink now sold as a patent medicine and cure for morphine addiction and renamed Coca-Cola. I was well into the article when there was a knock upon my door. Dr. Lansing. Yes, Frederick. Sorry to interrupt. Frederick, do you believe that a patent medicine containing cocoa leaves and the African cola nut can cure nerve disorders and impotence? I would hardly think so, Doctor. Although, if true, it could be quite profitable. Should I invest? No, I tend to agree with your diagnosis. What can I do for you? A patient. No appointment? He just walked in. I must say he is well-dressed. Very well. Show him in. I can finish this twaddle later. In walked a gentleman wearing a very expensive silk and worsted frock coat. This was Mr. Richard Burwell. The public may recall him as one of New York's best-known philanthropists who for years had devoted his life and fortune to helping the poor and indigent. He immediately made a deep impression on me not so much by the pallor and worn look of his face as by a certain intense sadness in his eyes, as if all hope had gone out of his life. He wished to consult me regarding some nervous trouble and insisted that I make a most thorough physical examination. So, Dr. Lansing, what has your battery of tests revealed? Well, Mr. Burwell, you seem perfectly normal and healthy. And what of my symptoms? The visions, yes. You say they come to you in odd moments? That's correct. And what are these visions of? Is that so important to know? I've come to understand that the what is often caused by the why. All I remember are fleeting fragments of violence. I, I can only describe them as waking nightmares. I see. Is there anything else you can tell me? Any details that might shed some light? Well, yes, I told you that I have acute color blindness and well, that I, uh, well... Dr. Lansing. Yes, Frederick. So sorry to interrupt. It's all right. Mr. Burwell, you've met my assistant, Frederick? Oh, yes. Uh, forgive me, sir. Uh, another patient has just walked in. No appointment. Well, there goes my afternoon of reading. Thank you, Frederick. Ask him to wait in the anteroom, please. Very good, doctor. I apologize for the interruption, Mr. Burwell. Yes, you're colorblind. Go on. 
Well, my life has always been a black and white world, but in my visions, I see vivid colors in great detail. Interesting. How then can you have any concept of what colors look like if you've never seen them? That's what I was hoping you could help me to know. Perhaps your mind is simply inferring color rather than actually seeing it. Perhaps. Your imagination at work. That's not... I, I appreciate your time, Doctor. Of course. Uh, I'll write you a prescription for your nerves. Though a sea voyage would be a better tonic, why not take a steamer to London or to Paris? That's not necessary, Doctor. What do I owe you? I was surprised when Mr. Burwell abruptly cut our session short. As he reached out his hand to bid me goodbye, I noticed something I had missed during my examination. One thing before you go. Yes? May I see your hand? My hand? Your left palm. Just now I noticed a mark. Yes, it's a birthmark. May I look at it? Well, if you feel you must. Huh. A cross surrounded by two circles over the Mount of Saturn. Tell me, did not something very traumatic happen to you about ten years ago? Uh, how on earth could you know that? And from the stream of fine lines that cross your lifeline from the Mount of Venus, I would say that you were in some foreign country at the time, yes? Well, my God, how could you possibly... I'm a student uh, uh, of cryology, uh, palmistry. I spent many months in India studying with a Brahmin Punjari. Palmistry? May I see your right hand as well? I suppose. Yes, yes. You see the... Uh, you see the square palm and the shorter fingers? That indicates a fire hand. Uh, this is a sign of volatility. The horizontal lines on the percussive edge of the palm between the wrist and the hand right there, they speak of a troubled past. Oh, and your sunlight just below your ring finger. It's very pronounced and jagged. It looks as if it were carved by a knife. Your life has been strangely unhappy, clouded by an evil influence, plagued by something utterly dark and nefarious. Uh -huh. Mr. Burwell, are, are you all right? No, no, it's starting. I... Visions. Horrible. Mr. Burwell. Is everything all right, Doctor? He's fainted. Help me get him into a chair. His eyes, Doctor. They've rolled back in their sockets. Quick, Frederick, the spirits. The ammonia bottle, just there. Here, Doctor. This should revive him. Uh, uh, where, where am I? Mr. Burwell, it's Dr. Lansing. Sir, are you quite all right? What? Uh, yes. I'm afraid you fainted, sir. I was reading your palm. Well, if you would be good enough to unhand me, doctor, I, uh, I must go. I'm sorry if I've upset you. That was not my intention. Wait! Mr. Burwell, your prescription? He's left, doctor, and the other gentleman is no longer in the waiting room. I'm afraid he's left, too. Odd. Did he give a name? No, sir. What did he look like? A very tall man with horn-rimmed spectacles, eastern-looking. Strange. Strange that he left considering his ailment. Catatonia, I should think. And the whole time he sat rocking in his chair with the most fixed stare. As if he were in some sort of trance. And that is how I came to know Richard Burwell. Nightly, I would turn the interview over and over in my mind, recalling the queer marks upon his palm, the look of surprise upon his face, as though I had caught him in the perpetration of some iniquitous crime. What did it all mean? 
One year later, on a stormy afternoon, I found out. Mr. Burwell's page was at my door, begging me to call upon his master immediately. As I had no other appointments for the day, I retrieved my medical hand case and set off at once in Burwell's waiting carriage. In 15 minutes, we arrived at a townhouse on Vanderbilt Avenue, near 47th Street. The home was apportioned with the most beautiful statues and exhibits from antiquity. A veritable museum of treasures and trinkets, a jade elephant from China, an original Rembrandt, a glass case display of medieval weaponry, maces, knives, swords, and more, all looked after by a retinue of servants. The page saw me into a study where we found Burwell pacing and in a frantic state. Please come in, Doctor. Mr. Burwell, I came straight away. Please sit down. Now, pardon me. I've, I've been unable to calm myself. Would you like a sedative? Uh, no. No, I need to tell you something. Something I, I have not spoken of to anyone. Something I've tried to bury, but that will not remain buried. I am flattered that you should want to take me into your confidence, but why me? I am practically a stranger to you. True. You may be a stranger to me, but after our visit, I realized I am not a stranger to you. Are you referring to the darkness I saw when I read your poem? What you saw that day was correct. That's why I had to leave. I was afraid, afraid of the truth. But now I know I must confront my past, whatever it may be. You may be a stranger, Doctor, but you are the only man who has understood that there has been some terrible influence at work in my life. Mr. Burwell, it's true that I saw something, but cryology is not an exact science. The whole city knows the virtue of your generous character. And yet there is a man out west whose hair is white and whose heart is heavy who would say differently. And there is a woman in London, angry and frightened, who would also offer a dissenting opinion. My best friend and my wife. What are you asking of me? What can I do? The first thing you can do is listen to my story. Perhaps if I told you what happened, the bits and pieces that I know, perhaps, well, you, more than any other man, could help me fill in the rest. Will you hear me out? Of course. I need some brandy. Uh, would you like some? Thank you. Yeah, here. I believe you'll need this. A toast to uncovering the truth if such a thing is possible. Have a seat in the leather back there. Uh, comfortable? Uh, quite. Then I'll begin. Eleven years ago, I went to Europe with my family. They stayed in London with friends while I was in Paris to deal with some business. Uh, one evening, Feeling lonely, my mind turned naturally to theater. I consulted my daily amusement calendar and took in a show at the Follies Brigere. At intermission, I, I went into the garden to watch the gay crowd strolling around the flowers, lights, and fountains. I, I realize now that it was the last time I ever felt happy.
Richard Burwell of New York never ceased to regret that the French language was not part of his education. This is why. He had just seated himself at a three-legged table to enjoy the novel Parisian scene when his attention was diverted by a woman who entered the courtyard leaning on the arm of a gentleman. The only thing he noted about this gentleman was that he wore spectacles. But the woman. She was lovely. Dressed in a theatrical ebony gown and green silk tunic and embroidered with exotic oriental ferns. I have never posed as a captivator of the fairer sex and could scarcely credit my eyes when I noticed she was looking over at me. I, well, after a moment, she left the side of her escort, passed close by me and deftly placed a card on my table. I, I tried to make eye contact, but she paid me no further heed. She rejoined the gentleman with the eyeglasses and swept away with the dignity and grace of a princess. Well, needless to say, I thought no more of the folly Bergere or of anything else. Everything seemed flat and tawdry compared to that radiant vision that had appeared and disappeared so mysteriously. And what was on the card? Well, that is the question, isn't it? What was not on it was her name and address as my vanity fancied it might be. Just 20 or so French words, handwritten in purple ink on both sides. Uh, not knowing the language, my one desire was to make out their meaning. I called a fiacre and made my way to the Continental Hotel where I was staying. Bonsoir, monsieur. Uh, good evening. Are you the manager? Oh, oui, monsieur. How may I? I wonder if you'd be so kind as to translate a note I was given. Oh, but of course, monsieur. I hope your stay here has been pleasurable and all of your needs. Yes, thank here. you. Here's the card. Um, well, you can see there's writing on both sides of it uh, in French. Well, let me see. Uh, oui, it is French. Something wrong? Where did you get this, monsieur? Well, I was given to me this evening by a woman. I was at the Follies Brigere, you see. Uh, that will do. Uh, that, that will do. You must leave the hotel. What? what you, do you, mean? you must leave the hotel at once without fail. You wish me to Take leave? Take your card and reason? go now, monsieur. This is outrageous. Well, if outrageous. you do not leave this instant, I will have the police escort you out. The police? Uh, what's on that card? Uh, I have a right to know. Angry and confused over the reaction of the hotel manager, Burwell had no choice but to leave. The only lodging available at that late hour was a questionable hotel in the disreputable Latin Quarter. As he went over the strange events of the day, his only comfort was knowing that he had an engagement the next day to lunch with his good friend Albert Caldwell from Boston, who with his family was staying at the Hotel de Alma. With his luggage on the carriage, he ordered the cochere to drive directly there, determined to take counsel with his countrymen before selecting new quarters. He met Albert in the lobby for drinks. They actually evicted you, Richard? Over a card? Extraordinary. Well, I'm glad to hear you say so. You've lived abroad. You're more accustomed to foreign ways, but well, if this seems strange to you, well, it comforts me to hear you're so indignant. It's just some silly mistake. 
I wouldn't pay any attention to it. Just have your luggage taken down and stay here. It'll be very jolly, all being together. Thank you, my friend. I was beginning to think I'd gone a bit mad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little nerve settler, shall we? We'll order a couple more Manhattan cocktails and linger a bit before I call Anne to lunch with us. Another drink sounds good. So, may I see the card? Oh, uh, of course. Um, here it is. It's nothing, really. Just some scribbled words in French on both sides. Let me see. Great God, man. Do you mean to say... This is simply... Excuse me for a moment. When Albert left, his face was white. He was gone perhaps five minutes. When he returned, he apologized and said that he and Anne could not join me for lunch after all. That his wife had a frightful headache and he had to attend to her. Well, instantly realizing this was only a flimsy pretense and well, deeply hurt by my friend's behavior, I arose at once and left. And profiting from my humiliating experiences, I took good care not to show the card to anyone in the new hotel where I now established myself. A comfortable little place near the Grand Opera House. I was now determined, Doctor, to solve this mystery, to define the secret of that infernal piece of pasteboard. But how to do it without getting myself into further trouble? I assume you consulted a French-English dictionary. I did, but the words were not to be found within it, or perhaps they were just indecipherable to me. I... I have no facility for languages and never studied French in college. And the woman? Ah, oh, yes, the woman. For three nights, I went back to the Folly Brigere to find her, to no avail. I imagine perhaps she was one of those beautiful nihilist conspirators or Russian spies you read about in novels. What did you do? I put my case and my life into the hands of an agent de la Sûreté who was recommended to me as competent and trustworthy. The detective's name was Joseph Desjardins, who had recently solved a sensational murder perpetrated by the beaux voyous of Les Milieux, members of the French underworld. All of Paris sang his praises, a fame Desjardins exploited when he announced his fee. Surely, Burwell thought, such an expensive and celebrated detective would be able to shed light on this perplexing situation. An appointment was made, and they met in his office in Montmartre. A most fascinating story, monsieur. Can you help me? Undoubtedly. I presume you're the vicar? Yes. It has been much handled. Yes, it has. That is unfortunate. If associated with some blackmail scheme, as seems likely. Blackmail? I... I hadn't thought of that. Oui, monsieur. This woman and her companion may be known to the Police Nationale and their extensive catalogue of fingerprints. No matter, there are other avenues of investigation open to us. This is marvelous. I, I can see I came to the right man. Let me close the window. It is tourist season and the streets are full of people. There. Now we may speak en privé. Forgive my impertinence, monsieur, but are there any indiscretions, any personal matters of an unseemly nature, anything else you might wish to tell me or confess? 
I can see where you're going with this. There has to be something for them to blackmail me with. But there is nothing, I assure you. No? Pumpot, the question had to be asked. Very good. In that case, perhaps it is extortion. Oui, it could be that. Mon plaisir, monsieur. Merci de cœur. You hesitate. Yes, uh, you understand. Oui, monsieur, but you have nothing to fear. No, no, I can see you have built this up in your mind. As my maman used to say to me, ce n'est pas la mer à boire. It's not as if you have to drink the sea. <laughs> in other words, monsieur, it is not the end of the world, I promise you. Every mystery has a solution. And if you are innocent, as you say, then you have nothing to fear. Well, thank you, Detective Dujardin. If anyone can decipher it, here it is. Well, as you can see, it's an innocuous thing. Yes, it appears to be a sort of simple postcard. Heavy linen stock, good quality. If I may hold it? Of course. Merci. Now for a closer inspection. <gasps> Detective? I can see from your face that something's wrong. What is it? What does it mean? It is better that Monsieur not know the nature of this document for the present. Then it's serious. Very serious. Well, you can't tell me anything? Not at the moment. Give me 24 hours to look into this. I will do the honor of calling upon Monsieur tomorrow at his hotel. Then Monsieur shall know everything. Burwell passed the next 24 hours in a fever of anxiety. As his mind conjured up one fearful possibility after another, he deeply regretted that he had not torn up the miserable card at the start. He even seized it, prepared to strip it into fragments, and so end the whole affair. And then his Yankee stubbornness again asserted itself, and he determined to see the thing out, come what might. After all, he reasoned, it is no crime for a man to pick up a card that a lady drops on his table. Crime or no crime, looked very much as if I had committed some grave offense as the next day my detective drove up in a carriage accompanied by a uniformed official and requested I accompany them to the police headquarters. Were you charged with some offense? I was cross-examined by another official who demanded many facts about my age, place of birth, residence and occupation, the end of which I found myself in the conciergerie prison. That night Burwell slept in a cell. The next day, he was visited by Detective Desjardins. What is going on, Desjardins? Where have you been, and why am I in this hellish place? And no one has told me what the charges are! I have just been to the American legation where I demanded and was finally granted immediate protection for you as a citizen of the United States. I have laid your case before the American minister and matters have been arranged. You will be set at liberty forthwith. I must tell you though, that I have had great difficulty in this and liberty is granted only on condition that you leave the country and never under any conditions return. But I haven't done anything wrong. Whatever is on that card is a lie. Now somebody has set me up in a most ingenious and calculated way up. You believe me, don't you? You must sign these papers agreeing to these conditions and be assured that you will be locked up if you set foot back in France. That's it? 
yet no one will throw any light upon the reason for this monstrous injustice? I've sealed the card in this envelope. I advise you to burn it and never refer to the matter again. Au revoir, monsieur. released and escorted to the Gerdinol station where he was placed on a train to Dunkirk and from there onto a ferry across the channel, all the while his heart consumed with hatred for the whole French nation. At Dover, he wired his wife, Charlotte, to meet him at Victoria Station in London. During the carriage ride to their friend's home in South Kensington, he debated with himself, should he tell her the sickening truth? In the end, he decided it was better to keep silent. Richard, warm yourself by the fire, darling. You look exhausted. What's wrong? You've barely spoken to me since you've been back. Did your business go poorly? I'm sorry, Charlotte. It's been a stressful trip. I just need to rest a while. Um, where's our daughter? She's upstairs, asleep, as are Charles and Erica. They've been showing us such a lovely time, and it was so nice of them to put us up. Richard, I am glad to see you, but we didn't expect you for another week. Why did you come back early? Oh, Charlotte, I... What is it? What's happened? I'm so sorry, darling. I really can't talk about it right now. I'm exhausted. All right. Rest. I know this isn't the reunion you had hoped for. I... I will make it up to you, I promise. I admit I am eager to hear about France with our plans to go there this summer. I know how you like to plan things. I'm sure you've already lined up a number of thrilling adventures for us while you were there. Oh, dear God. Richard. You look as pale as a ghost. Are you ill? We will not be going to France this summer. What? Or ever, for that matter. Why? It's a long, horrible story. I still don't understand what happened myself. All I know is we cannot go to France, as I may never again set foot on French soil. Richard, I'm going to fix us both a drink. And then you're going to tell me exactly what has happened every moment every detail. Is that understood? Yes. Whatever the storm, we shall weather it together, like we always have. Of course, my love. He began to tell his wife the whole story. The couple in the garden, the woman approaching his table, the mysterious card, and the extraordinary effect it had on every person to whom he showed it. My goodness. To think that such a titanic chain of horrible events could have sprung from such a tiny piece of pasteboard. Well, exactly. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. But the facts are, it, it's cost me friends, business opportunities, my liberty, and, and I confess to you, my darling, my reason. I, I'm at a loss of what to do or how to proceed. I, or even if I should proceed, I, I just don't know what to do. I, what should I do? Oh, I've never seen you this way. It frightens me, but know that we shall get through this together. Well, the first thing that you need to do is to show me the card. Oh, don't ask me to do that. Richard, you know that I'm fluent in French. Charlotte, I think it's best that you not look at it. You have nothing to be afraid of. It's only a card with a bit of writing on it. I know, but... I... And you and I both know that it is some sort of misunderstanding, which I can easily clear up. I don't think I could bear it if your reaction was like the others. I'm your wife. I know, dear, but... Uh... Any storm, Richard. 
Okay. You're right, I'm being silly. We can get through this together. Here. It's sealed in this envelope? The detective returned it to me in that. He told me to burn it. Burn it? I told you not to read it, Charlotte. Please, at least tell me what's on it. What, what the thing means. Don't come near me. What? Stay away. What is Stay it, away. Charlotte? I trusted you. Trust? Trust? I shall never be able to trust you again. Oh, don't say that. Don't, don't come near me. Don't come any closer. Careful, the table. I... Dear God, I... Here, take my hand. No, don't touch me. Please, Charlotte. Just stay away from me. Stay away. I'm your husband. Any storm, right? Get out. Get out. Leave this house and never come near us again. You must be going mad or the whole world is. You must tell me for the love of God, what does the card say? It says that you're a monster. A monster. A monster. Mysterious card. I will promise you one thing. What is that? If when I look at the card, I am similarly disposed, no matter how shocked or repelled, I will tell you what I see upon it. You have been listening to The Theater of the Mind, Series 1, The Mysterious Card, adapted by Jeff G. Rack and Charlie Mount. From a story by Cleveland Moffat. Presented in six parts. Directed by Jeff G. Rack. Technical director, Charlie Mount. Music composed and performed by Jay Wolfel. Presenting our voice talent players for episode one. Charlie Mount as Dr. Edward Lansing. Richard Large as Richard Burwell. Christine Zerbel as Charlotte Burwell. Eric Keitel as Detective Desjardins, Michael Pearl as Albert Caldwell and Frederick, Dustin Hess as the Continental Hotel Manager, and I'm your host, Jeff Rack. This has been an Arcane Theatre Works production. If you've enjoyed this program and would like us to do more, please go to our Patreon page to become a patron and valued member of Arcane Theatre Works. Your proceeds will allow us to pay our talented actors, artists, and technicians so that we can continue to bring you high-quality programming like the show you've just enjoyed. You can also go to our site, arcanetheaterworks.com, and sign up to be informed of our upcoming live and virtual shows and events. A special thanks to Alan Zorthian and the Zorthian Ranch. Mm-hmm.